So I'm going to be talking about two-stage implant-based breast reconstruction. I think it's an important procedure to know how to do because regardless of what type of reconstructions you do, this is one of those that is always going to be a go-to and a safe option. I'm going to go through some of my uh, principles behind why I do it and um, chat about the different approaches. Um, my name is Albert Loskin. I am a plastic surgeon in Atlanta at Emory University. And the outline, uh, the program information here, um, this is provided by North American Center for CME. Um, it's supported by an educational grant from Cientra. And this uh, CME activity may include device or medicine brand names for participant clarity purposes only due to the presence of different branded versions of the same product. No product promotion or uh, recommendations should be inferred in the presentation. So if you look at the learning objectives, um, what I'm gonna do is describe the various uh, approaches, the technique that I use with tissue expanders in two-stage breast reconstruction. We're gonna discuss and investigate some innovative tissue expanded solutions that um, have essentially been designed to help minimize <clears throat> post-operative complications, have helped minimize or manage post-operative infections in uh, patients who undergo two-stage breast reconstruction. Um, and then uh, at the end, we're gonna briefly discuss some of the long-term safety data from the 10-year US-based core clinical studies. So like I said, if you think of implant-based breast reconstruction, it's probably one of those that um, most people are doing. And it's important that, that you try to do it well because obviously you wanna have happy patients. And part of that is trying to minimize complications and trying to maximize your outcome uh, as best possible. And um, you know, when, you, when you're in practice and uh, you're, you're trying to think of the best option for the patient, uh, implant-based options are often very high on the list, especially when it's bilateral reconstructions, especially with younger patients, especially if you don't want to be doing um, a lot of the more complicated uh, autologous type of reconstructions. Um, so I think it's really important that you know how to do implant-based breast reconstructions well. And if you look at the various options uh, that are available after a mastectomy, uh, the two main types are either the two-stage option, which is we're gonna, what we're gonna focus on today, or there's the uh, direct-to-implant option. And whether you choose to go two-stage which is tissue expander and then implant or direct to the implant. Uh, you can either put the uh, prosthesis above the muscle, which is relatively new now, the pre-pack toral approach, or you can go under the muscle, which is a sub-pack approach. And I'm gonna discuss the various advantages and disadvantages of, of all those techniques. If you think of um, all the advances in implant-based breast reconstruction, We've really come a long way since the reconstructions and the results that we've seen uh, back in the 80s and 90s. And I think for three reasons. The first of all, um, we have much better implant technology, whether it's better implants or better tissue expanders. Um, number two, we have uh, acellular dermal matrix, which really helps us uh, with these reconstructions and supports the soft tissue. And three, we have different uh, type of mastectomy defects. You know, we're now preserving the pectoralis muscle, we're preserving the inframeromy fold, we're preserving the skin, and more recently, we're preserving the skin and the nipple areola complex. And all of that has contributed to improving results in uh, either one or two-stage breast reconstruction. If you look uh, at the study, uh, which basically compares uh, two-stage breast reconstruction with tissue expander to implant versus one-stage reconstruction, which is direct to implant, 
Uh, this is slightly older data, but it's um, from 1998 to 2012 in 194 patients. Uh, the breakdown is about 86% of those patients underwent two-stage breast reconstruction. Um, so the vast majority of patients uh, back then in 2012 were undergoing two-stage two breast reconstruction. I think if you were to look at similar data today, um, it, it would be uh, possibly a little bit less on the tissue expander, the two-stage reconstruction, and I think a lot of that's because of the different type of mastectomies that we're seeing today. But um, regardless, I think the two-stage approach is still probably the most common uh, technique uh, used in implant-based reconstruction. Um, but I think uh, more recent data will probably show that it's not quite 86%. Uh, it might be slightly lower, but still the majority. Uh, so it's a, it's a very common uh, type of procedure, and I think it's a really important to know how to do it well. So the real question uh, that a lot of people uh, ask is, why do we do a tissue expander to an implant versus why not just go directly to an implant itself? And there, there are a lot of benefits to going directly to an implant. I'm not gonna talk about uh, direct to implant per se. I'm gonna focus more on why we would need to use a tissue expander or why people choose to use a tissue expander. Uh, in this uh, implant-based reconstruction. And so the question is, why why do you even need a tissue expander? And, and the purpose of a tissue expander, if you go back to your general reconstructive principles, are uh, two things, either to stretch um, the soft tissue, um, and that's either uh, skin or muscle, uh, or or you need to recruit more skin and uh, a lot of people use it as a space saver as well to try to preserve the skin that uh, the breast surgeon has left behind after the mastectomy. So tissue expanders have been useful uh, in a lot of our reconstructive procedures and obviously <clears throat> most recently and most commonly it's, it's now used in breast reconstruction. One area that you really kind of have to do a two-stage reconstruction, uh, reconstruction is when you do delayed reconstruction. Um, when you have delayed reconstruction, you have your, your muscles uh, usually down, uh, your skin is usually resected, and really this is the classic example of where you need to recruit more skin and you also need to stretch out the muscle. Um, delayed reconstructions obviously uh, come with their own set of challenges. Um, it does require the expansion, and then it does require more uh, revisional procedures because it's a little more difficult to recreate that natural-looking breast. When you do have a delayed reconstruction, as you can see on the left, uh, the patient does not have an inframammary fold, and preservation of that inframammary fold in skin sparing and nipple sparing mastectomies has significantly improved our ability to make natural uh, looking implant-based reconstructions. Uh, but you can still get a nice result with delayed reconstruction, but you do need to expand the skin, and I often do overexpand it to allow more um, ability to recreate the fold and provide a natural shape. So tissue expansion is definitely required um, in delayed reconstruction. Uh, very rarely, if uh, a lot of skin has been preserved and the patient does not want to be too big, you could uh, possibly go straight to an implant. But most of the time when I'm doing delayed reconstruction, it's uh, with tissue expanders. The second area that I think is uh, one of those um, areas where you really need a tissue expander is when the patient wishes to be larger. Uh, you'd rather not put a larger implant in at the time of skin or nipple sparing mastectomy because you don't want to place any additional tension on um, the uh, potentially compromised skin flaps. So in patients like this on the left who has a small A cup, if she expressed a desire to want to be larger, um, I think a tissue expander will give you much more control and definitely help get you the result that you're looking for on the right and the patient is able to uh, be larger. And if you look at this study uh, 
from uh, 19, I'm sorry, 2016. It was a, a very nice study where they basically looked at uh, mastectomies using tissue expanders and implants and broke it down into two groups. Those patients who had increased volume at the end of the reconstruction, which were 177 patients, compared to those who had uh, smaller volume, and that was 94 um, patients, uh, when they compared before the reconstruction to after they were finished. And if you can see in this table here, the patient satisfaction, um, the psychological well-being, sexual well-being, uh, was all um, significantly higher in patients who had an increase in uh, their breast volume. And this was done without uh, impacting complications. So from a psychological standpoint, um, in those patients who desire to be larger, it is a reasonable thing to do. And I think tissue expanders will definitely help get you uh, to that point a lot easier. And then there are a lot of people who just feel that the two-stage approach um, is much safer and more predictable. Um, so if you look at a patient like this, um, we're up in the top left-hand corner. You see her preoperatively. She's fairly totic and not a great candidate for uh, nipple sparing in, in our hands. And so we went ahead and did a tissue expander. You can see the top right uh, where she is after her tissue, her expanders have been placed. And then you get to go back at that second stage and place an implant and then eventually reconstruct nipples. And you can get a very nice, uh, natural, predictable result. And so there are a lot of uh, surgeons who either just would prefer to do the two-stage approach um, or they're more familiar with the two-stage approach or they've been trained with the two-stage approach and uh, just feel more comfortable doing it that way because it is a very safe and predictable uh, technique and you can probably use it in the majority of patients. Actually, you could use it in all patients if you needed to. The other subset of patients, and I'm not going to talk about it uh, too much, but uh, the patients who I feel are good candidates for tissue expander placement are those who then go on to require radiation therapy. And I know this is a talk in and of itself, uh, but I feel that you still have a lot of good options available if you do go ahead and put a tissue expander in at the time of mastectomy, even though you might know uh, the patient is going to require radiation therapy after the fact. Um, if, if you choose not to put a tissue expander in and you do a mastectomy, I would feel like the the uh, almost 100% of the time after radiation therapy, we would then need to use an autologous reconstruction. Whereas if you place a tissue expander uh, at the time of the mastectomy, you go ahead and do the radiation. Uh, I think 50 to 60% of patients after radiation therapy will be able to go on, as in this situation, this case, um, to an implant. And typically, I wait about six months um, after completion of radiation therapy before we proceed to that second surgery. Uh, and then at the second surgery, we have to do a lot more uh, capsule work, and uh, we, we place the implant in and, and try to make them look as natural as possible. Um, obviously, everyone responds a little differently to radiation therapy in this particular patient. You can see the skin was radiated, but for the most part, seemed relatively soft. She did have some tightening at the inframary fold. Uh, you can release that uh, naturally uh, with uh, capsulotomy and maybe even some capsulectomy. Um, and if you're unable to do this or you feel that your skin is just too tight or it's too fibrosed or she's not tolerating expansion very well, then those are the patients who you might consider going on to autologous reconstruction. But you can still get a, a very nice looking result despite having been radiated, although the uh, incidence of complications on that right side uh, long-term are obviously always gonna be higher because of the radiation on that side. So if you, if you look at this slide, it basically goes over why I would wanna use a tissue expander 
uh, and which patients I feel are uh, good candidates for tissue expander placement and then implant. Uh, obviously, the one thing we didn't really talk too much about, but if you're concerned about your skin coverage or your flat perfusion, you would rather not place the implant in, uh, putting a tissue expander uh, either under the skin or under the muscle without any fluid, without any tension on the skin is going to be the safest option. Um, patients who undergo skin sparing mastectomy, um, patients who, who desire to be larger, uh, those who need radiation therapy, uh, and then uh, for more control uh, to do aesthetic refinements at that already planned secondary surgery. I think patients will often tolerate that um, if they know the plan is for them to go back, uh, then that's a planned secondary surgery rather than a revision surgery if you've gone straight to an implant. Um, and then patients like having some input over their size. Uh, it's often one of those things you don't really think about at the time of your breast cancer diagnosis, but it's nice to have some say down the road while you're going through the expansion process and the patient can tell you uh, what size they like to be, if they want to be larger or smaller, and you can adjust it with the tissue expander down the road. And obviously, surgeon preference. As we spoke about, that's always a, a big part. Some surgeons just prefer to do the two-stage reconstruction, and that's, that seems to be perfectly fine. So let's talk about um, some technical considerations. Um, the three main types are either the uh, prepack, the dual plane with acellular dermal matrix, or the uh, total submuscular coverage. Um, you know, we, we've gone uh, almost 360 in terms of the reconstructions, which initially were subcutaneous. Uh, we went then to submuscular, then to dual plane, and now back to prepec, difference being, uh, like I said, better mastectomies, better uh, technologies in uh, acellular dermal matrix as well as in implants. So total submuscular coverage, um, where the uh, tissue expander is placed underneath the pectoralis muscle. Uh, the pectoralis muscle is, is lifted up and the pocket is created the uh, serratus anterior uh, and the fascia is uh, also lifted up laterally and uh, the expander is placed um, and the muscle is closed over the expander. So you have full coverage of the tissue expander, which obviously has the benefit of uh, vascularized tissue. It is important when you do this though that you do release the uh, pectoralis muscle off the inframammary fold as much as you can to allow that lower pole expansion. So it gives you better lower pole shape. Some of the advantages, as I mentioned, yeah, you do get good vascular coverage and it is a lot less expensive since you're not using ADM. Um, the disadvantages are in that lower pole. I think it's uh, slightly more difficult to create a very natural shape in that lower pole because you do have some of the constriction of the muscle. Um, you're also uh, ill-defined uh, in terms of your lateral mammary fold. And so at that second surgery, you often need to redefine the inframammary fold and the lateral mammary fold. Um, and you can get some lateral or cranial migration of the implant. Um, it's painful uh, because you have to lift up the muscle. And I just think uh, in terms of creating natural ptosis, it, it's definitely more difficult. And typically at that second surgery, you have to do a lot more work and it often requires more revision to get to the uh, desired shape. So in an effort to improve that lower pole, um, the uh, dual plane approach was started where the tissue expander or the implant was covered partially by muscle uh, on the upper part and then partially by the subcutaneous tissue in the lower part. And this gave a much more natural uh, shape because you didn't have the restriction of the muscle at the inframammary fold region. Um, but there were some disadvantages and that was the, uh, the lateral migration because you really haven't supported the uh, tissue expander or the implant very well. Um, the implant is now being supported by the skin 
and so you can get some uh, bottoming out and you can get some obvious migration as we spoke about and then more importantly you, you get skin animation because you've tacked that muscle to the uh, lower mastectomy skin flap and the muscle is still contracting and so it does cause some animation. Um, and in this study, which looked at uh, complications of either complete uh, muscle coverage versus partial muscle coverage in tissue expanders, um, they used uh, the serratus muscle uh, and the fascia, um, along with the pectoralis muscle, to do, to do the uh, total uh, complete muscle coverage, and then uh, the marionette-type sutures for the partial muscle coverage. Um, 60 complete and 46 partial. And if uh, you look at the results, uh, they basically found that total muscle coverage was a better option when uh, concerned about skin necrosis. However, cranial migration was more common, uh, likely because of the uh, pull push of the muscle at the inframammary fold. And then lateral migration was more common in the uh, partial coverage patients. And then um, along came dual plane, and you know most people uh, know how to do dual plane with ADM. So I'm not going to talk too much about um, the transition, uh, but this really was a game changer in uh, tissue expander implant reconstruction, and significantly uh, changed what we did, changed the results, and I think made um, expanders and implants uh, a lot more. Uh, common because you can get very natural looking results and uh, don't necessarily have to do autologous reconstructions. And if you look at the, the pros, um, reasons people change is you really get better support of that tissue expander or the implant. You get more control over the pocket at both the inframammary fold level and that lateral mammary fold level that was lacking in the prior two techniques. You get better lower pole shape uh, improved coverage, uh, lower capsule contraction rates because of the, uh, the the way the ADM incorporated, less revisional surgery because you can get a more natural look early on. Uh, the obvious disadvantage in this situation is the cost of ADM. Uh, complications is felt to be slightly higher with uh, ADM and then the animation persisted as a problem. I'm going to take you through uh, a case. Um, this is a patient who had a right-sided breast cancer. She underwent skin sparing mastectomy, removing a fairly large nipple areola complex. So I, I felt needed to have some of that skin recruited uh, uh, with a tissue expander and some of the skin expanded. First thing I do is uh, release the pectoralis muscle off the chest wall and create a subpectoral pocket. It's important that uh, it's released uh, sufficiently, but not too far medial. If you release it too far medial, the uh, pectoralis muscle will retract up, and it's very difficult to either tack it back down or to suture your ADM uh, to the pectoralis muscle. So I like to release it medially, uh, but I don't like to go completely through the muscle at the uh, xiphoid uh, region because we don't want that muscle to contract up. I'd like to see it attached, but just released uh, to give to give better cleavage and better medial shape. The ADM is then sutured to the inframammary fold uh, with the uh, dermal side towards the skin flaps. Um, once I've created the pocket, I've placed the ADM. We then go ahead and put uh, the tissue expanders in. Uh, you can see there's the, the pocket with the ADM that's going to recreate that inframammary fold, and it's also going to act as an extender to the pectoralis muscle so that the muscle is supported and not relying on the skin flaps. The tissue expander is placed. Um, in the past, I, I used uh, only textured tissue expanders. We've now switched uh, over to smooth tissue expanders. Um, I prefer the uh, tissue expanders with tabs, and um, my tissue expander of choice is um, the top left where you see uh, two tabs at the uh, inframammary fold region, and we tack the tabs down. Um, it has an integrated port with a forgiving safety region uh, in case you 
miss support, it doesn't necessarily rupture the tissue expander. Um, once the uh, expander is placed beneath the muscle, we tack uh, the sutures and that further prevents any mobilization of the expander. After that, we go ahead and um, expand the expander. I like to put as much uh, volume in as I would like uh, based on how the skin flaps tolerate the expansion. And we either use air or we can use saline. Uh, more recently, I've started using air and it seems to work just well, uh, just fine. Once we uh, expand the expander, then we go ahead and suture the muscle to the acellodermal matrix. And I think it's important to have some volume in the expander while you're sewing the ADM because you can adjust how much ADM you need uh, based on uh, the shape of the breast at the time. And I uh, typically will put in as much uh, volume as I can to provide nice shape without putting too much tension on the skin, uh, mastectomy skin flaps. And this, uh, this slide shows how we're suturing the ADM. Um, typically, you can either uh, do interrupted sutures with the ADM. I like to use resorbable, uh, dissolvable suture, uh, or you can also run it if you would like. And I think that's just a surgeon preference. It is very important to be fairly aggressive with uh, drain use. And when lymph nodes are removed, I usually place a uh, drain in the axilla. Um, otherwise, I just place one drain in the inframammary fold gutter. Um, my uh, preference today is to go ahead and fenestrate the ADM, which I'll, I'll talk about uh, a little bit more in the ADM. I'm sorry, in the prepack uh, portion. Uh, but really aggressive use of drains, and then only remove them when they're below about 25 cc's per day. So prepectoral tissue expander placement um, is where I've been uh, doing most of my tissue, tissue expanders these days. Um, I think it gives you a very nice uh, natural result, and with uh, ADM covering it, it gives you good support of the prosthesis and um, you can, you can, there are a lot of advantages to the prepectoral placement. Every uh, talk on prepack typically has one of these slides where you can see the animation after implants have been placed underneath the pectoralis muscle, and then you can see the lack of animation when the implants are placed in the prepectoral space. So things to consider, um, you know, Changing your practice uh, from something you're comfortable doing, like uh, dual plane or two stage, uh, to then going prepack, whether it's two stage or direct to implant, uh, is difficult. Um, and you know, we're used to uh, what we're uh, comfortable doing, uh, but occasionally there are some things that will come around that change your practice. And if you feel comfortable doing, um, you know, it's it's reasonable to switch and. The reason I like uh, the prepack approach is there's less pain, less narcotic use because you're not having to lift up the pectoralis muscle. There's decreased length of stay, and that could potentially be tied to reimbursement, uh, which will be important uh, down the road. Decreased operative time because you're not having to lift the pectoralis muscle. Uh, you're not having to expand as much. Uh, because you now uh, have taken the muscle factor out of the equation. You possibly could do more direct to implants um, and quicker return to work. I feel that the aesthetics are better. Um, you, know, you get more natural lower pole uh, shape. Um, you have better function and range of motion because you're not lifting up the pectoralis muscle. Uh, improved patient satisfaction, uh, less capsule contracture. I really think radiation therapy is going to be better tolerated in the prepectoral space because you're you're now once again not having to deal with radiated muscle, which can often be very fibrotic and woody. Uh, likely result in few, fewer revisions, although we we are uh, fat crafting the vast majority of these patients, so in that situation it's not fewer revisions, but. Uh, 
Um, in terms of the shape, I think you, we are going to do fewer revisions. And I think the options are better if the implant fails. Um, you know, for some reason, if you have to remove the implant or the tissue expander because of infection or serum or skin necrosis, you don't have the uh, pectoralis muscle as uh, a concern because you haven't lifted it up, and you can go back um, in, in a fa fairly um, clean pocket if you have to uh, let the infection resolve and you go back at a later stage. I think it uh, provides you with better options because you don't have to um, deal with an already lifted up pectoralis muscle. And this particular study basically looked at dual plane versus prepack and showed that 33% fewer days on opioid uh, for the prepack patients, 66% less likely to require opioid prescription. This was from PRS uh, Global in this year, 2019. And then other studies have looked at uh, capsule contracture um, and have found that capsule contracture in patients who have tissue expander uh, reconstruction is less in the uh, subglandular placement compared to the submuscular placement. Um, and I think ADM is an important uh, component to that uh, capsule contraction being less. I'm gonna take you through my preferred approach, whether it's uh, implant or direct uh, or, or tissue expander reconstruction. Um, this is a nipple sparing mastectomy patient. You can see I marked all the important borders to the breast. I like to mark the inframary fold. I also like to mark the uh, upper border of the breast. And our preferred um, incision is, is a lateral mammary fold incision that extends uh, from about the uh, um, six o'clock position to the uh, three o'clock position. Once the mastectomy has been performed, um, I do like to control the pocket. I examine the pocket. I feel the inframammary fold. I feel the lateral mammary fold. And if they've at all been distorted or violated, I like to recreate that with a large uh, zero vicral stitch. We then go ahead and pick the expander or pick the implant. And I place the expander or the implant in the pocket and I look at the shape. And when I'm comfortable with the shape and when I'm comfortable with the size of the prosthesis, we put it on the back table and we place a piece of ADM over the uh, prosthesis. Uh, we fenestrate the ADM. I think that helps reduce seroma formation. I also think it helps uh, the ADM incorporate better uh, to the mastectomy skin flaps. And I also mark uh, the uh, ADM. I, I like to mark the 12, 6, three and nine o'clock position, because then I take I take that piece of ADM and I, I place it on my hand on top of the chest and I basically mark where I want those uh, three important uh, sutures to be. Um, and this makes placing the ADM so much easier. So the first thing I do is uh, place the ADM um, at the uh, nine o'clock position, the 12 o'clock position, and the six o'clock position. Uh, and that basically shows me where I want that uh, ADM to be in terms of providing the best shape and the best coverage of the uh, tissue expander. Because um, remember, I'm not relying on the uh, ADM to uh, put that tissue expander where it needs to be. I've already closed the pocket off and recreated the, the borders to the breast. So that's helping me. And number two, the tissue expander has tabs, which I like to tack, and so the expander's not gonna move, so that's helping me too. And so the placement of the ADM definitely uh, assists with uh, support of the soft tissue, um, but it also helps with coverage. And what I don't want is for the ADM to at all distort the shape of the breast, so I don't want it to be too tight in certain areas or too loose in certain areas. So it's really important and once I place those first three stitches, I then tie them and I put the uh, tissue expander or the implant back in. And I look at it and I, I want it to look like it did before I put the ADM. Uh, once I'm happy with the shape, uh, we then go ahead and mark um, in between those uh, three stitches and we, placed, we place the rest of the uh, uh, sutures uh, attacking the ADM circumferentially 
to the chest wall, providing good coverage of the uh, prosthesis. Um, once we've done that, we go ahead and we, we replace the tissue expander or we replace the implant. And the last thing we need to do is basically tack that lateral uh, border of the ADM down to the chest wall. And in nipple sparing mastectomies, I think it's very important that um, we, we don't push the implant or push the tissue expander to medial. And the common mistake here is when we're tacking that lateral mammary fold down, that you want to push the implant in because it gives you better cleavage. But the problem with that is the uh, nipple is where the nipple wants to be. And I feel like it's important to position that nipple uh, directly over the tissue expander or the implant so that when you uh, have your final shape or when you're expanding the breast pocket, you're expanding equally on both sides of the nipple. And if you're not doing that, if your expander is too far medial, you're going to push the nipple out lateral. And that's very hard to fix at the second stage. So it's very important to put that tissue expander uh, directly beneath the nipple areola complex to make your second surgery that much easier. And the last thing I do um, in patients like this is I, I've started using the Tegaderm bra. And what I like about this is that it essentially stabilizes the mastectomy skin flap, uh, which can be very mobile to the uh, uh, cleavage or the upper abdomen or the uh, upper chest, which is very immobile. Um, and so it essentially uh, acts as a fixation between the immobile uh, skin and the mobile skin and keeps the nipple areola complex where it needs to be. It's not quite as important in the smaller-breasted patients, but when you have patients with this little bit more ptosis and that nipple can shift around quite a bit postoperatively, I like the Tegaderm bra. I think it really helps keep that nipple where, you, where it needs to go. And then, you know, in terms of uh, whether uh, the expander is wrapped versus uh, anteriorly covered, I prefer to uh, place my tissue expander or my implant in a breast ADM pocket rather than to use the off-label uh, approach, which is to wrap the uh, expander or the implant. And like I said earlier, um, in almost all these patients who we're bringing back uh, to do a tissue expander to implant procedure, uh, we will do some fat grafting. Um, it's rare that we don't need to. Um, it doesn't add that much to the procedure, and I think it really adds to the uh, final result, uh, especially in the upper pole, uh, where you can get some rippling, you can get some thin skin. Um, typically, we do at least one or two um, procedures where we, we do fat grafting. Uh, even thin flaps can be benefited by doing some fat grafting. I've found that if the ADM has been placed on dermis, so if at the original procedure you're looking at dermis, uh, assuming your flaps do well, those are patients that are a little bit more difficult to fat graft because sometimes when it's very thin and the ADM's directly on the dermis, uh, it's hard to get um, the, the fat grafting cannulas into that space between the capsule and the skin. And those, pa those are the patients uh, that uh, I, I don't um, have a whole lot of success with fat grafting. But other than that, if you're not looking at dermis with your mastectomy flaps, which um, hopefully we're not looking at most of the time, um, you can get very nice results with uh, fat grafting at that second stage. This particular patient had a prepectoral uh, placement of a tissue expander. She then went on to receive radiation therapy on the left-hand side and eventually had an implant placed. Um, and without having to deal with the uh, fibrotic pectoralis muscle, I do feel that the, the results are going to be that much better in the prepectoral space with radiation therapy. You're still at increased risk of capsule contracture. Uh, you're still at increased risk of uh, uh, fibrosis of your skin flaps. 
Um, but I found that uh, the uh, prepectal reconstruction tend to uh, tolerate radiation therapy better than uh, patients who had dual plane. And I think it's uh, because of both the elimination of pectoralis muscle as well as the addition of the ADM uh, to help uh, minimize the incidence of capsule contracture and um, implant fibrosis. One thing that I have noticed when uh, performing tissue expander to implant reconstruction in the prepectoral space is that um, we rely on that pectoralis muscle to push the tissue expander down or to push the implant down and give you a more natural upper pole slope. Um, but you don't have that when you're in the prepectoral space. So uh, even when you're putting in a tissue expander, I think it's important not to uh, keep that uh, ADM too loose in the upper pole. If the ADM is not uh, well supported in the upper pole um, and not tight enough in the upper pole, the uh, tissue expander is going to preferentially expand uh, the upper pole. You will need to do more uh, capsule work superiorly uh, to provide a, a more natural shape uh, to the upper pole. And this is easily achieved with uh, just tightening some of the capsule in the upper pole or doing some capsulography sutures when you're at your second stage and going from a tissue expander to an implant uh, in the prepectoral space. When you're doing uh, fat grafting to the upper part of the mastectomy skin flaps, it's another way of keeping it natural looking and, um, and that also helps. You don't need to rely on implants as much and you can often go smaller with the implant compared to what you had in your tissue expander. I think it's important to uh, definitely manage expectations when it comes to tissue expander reconstruction. Tissue expanders are often uh, harder and they don't look quite as natural initially. Uh, this is a patient on the left with tissue expanders and there she is after her exchange to an implant. You can see dramatically looks a lot more natural. In this particular patient, the left breast, you can see the skin was fairly uh, uh, inflamed early on. If you give that some time, you go ahead and expand them slowly. Uh, you can see her result after expansion with uh, symmetry uh, much better than it was beforehand. And actually, they can look fairly bad early on. Uh, you can see in the middle here, this patient had tissue expanders. Uh, very tight lower pole and trying to expand it as much as possible. There she is after uh, taking out the expanders, um, releasing some of the capsule, allowing the implant to drop down in, and you can get you can get a very natural result. That second surgery is a very powerful procedure, um, even in radiated patients, um, like I showed earlier, where you have to do some capsule work, either removing capsule. Uh, dropping the inframammary fold, um, redefining the inframammary fold, uh, doing fat grafting, and occasionally even adding some ADM to get the uh, this type of result in a patient who's previously been irradiated uh, without having to need uh, or having to do an autologous reconstruction. Um, in this patient, I found interesting because you can see how high those tissue expanders are sitting on the chest wall. The level of the inframammary fold hasn't changed, but when you switch uh, going from the tissue expander to the implant, the whole implant and the whole breast will drop down into the uh, pocket. And even though you haven't changed the inframammary fold position, you've uh, essentially recreated a fair amount of ptosis that can get her a nice natural looking breast. So let's talk about complications for a while because um, complications is, it's important to minimize uh, these complications as much as you can, especially in these patients who are often uh, at high risk with either having had chemotherapy or having large breasts or um, having previously been irradiated. Um, the if you can minimize your complications or appropriately manage complications, you're going to get a much uh, better result, and your patients are going to be a lot more satis a lot more satisfied. 
Um, this particular study uh, from uh, Chun in 2010 basically looks at uh, tissue expanders and implant reconstruction with or without acellular dermal matrix. And we're all familiar with this data that shows the complication rate to be slightly higher or significantly higher actually in patients who have ADM. Um, the seroma rate is higher in the ADM group, 14% versus 2.7. And the infection rate is higher in the ADM group, 8.9% uh, versus 2.1. Um, I think it's one of those things that we uh, we use ADM to get the results that we'd like to get, and it's up to us to appropriately select patients who are not higher risks for complications to try to minimize these complications or uh, do other things in your technique or with your technology to try to remove uh, complications or minimize complications as much as you can. Um, seroma. Uh, it's really important uh, to try to minimize seromas because uh, the problem with seromas is that if they go unrecognized or if you continue to have to drain seromas around tissue expanders or implants, um, your risk of infection is significantly higher. This was a meta-analysis from nine, uh, 2016. Basically looks at 72 articles and the seroma rate following tissue expander reconstruction was about 6.7%. Um, and 18% uh, of these uh, eventually went on to get infected, and there was a six times increased risk of having to remove your prosthesis if you had a seroma that then got infected. So, you know, if we can somehow prevent seromas or if we can manage seromas appropriately, um, then that would significantly improve the results. And this particular study uh, looks at the whole inflammatory process that leads up to a seroma, uh, which starts with many um, etiologic factors such as uh, hypoperfused flaps or tissue expander and ADM or just the lymphatic uh, trauma from the surgical technique, whether it's the electrocautery or any non-viable tissue that leads to inflammation. Inflammation then leads to the seroma formation and you either can try to prevent that with things like drains or things like um, quilting sutures or things like uh, fenestration to the ADM. Um, if you can't prevent it, it's important to treat it um, and can often be treated with aspiration uh, because if you don't, um, your risk of infection and eventually explantation uh, will go up significantly. There are some novel um, techniques and technologies now that are available with new tissue expanders that can help in the management of seromas and uh, potentially in the prevention of seromas as well. Um, tissue expanders are an evolving concept. We've come a long way in the tissue expanders today compared to when they initially came out. Um, they can be either round or anatomic. I think the majority of expanders uh, today are uh, anatomic, whether it's low um, uh, height or increased height. Uh, remote ports are not very common uh, in the breast, and the majority of people are using the integrated port. It tends to be a lot easier to use. Uh, the, cover the surface could be textured. Uh, more recently, we've started switching to smooth. Um, I really like the uh, suture tabs. Um, I feel that they give you a lot more control in where you put that tissue expander. Um, you can fill it with saline, you can fill it with air. We have uh, self-filling tissue expanders. Um, and then we have newer tissue expanders which have the uh, injection port as well as the aspiration port, which I'm gonna talk about uh, more in a bit. Um, two new technologies that have come out in the last few years are the uh, Aeroform tissue expander, which is essentially a needle-free tissue expander, um, and it's, it utilizes a small carbon dioxide canister that uh, in a controlled fashion, uh, controlled by the patient, uh, releases air and expands the tissue expander without needing a needle and without needing to come and see the physician. That has been found to be useful by many uh, surgeons in certain uh, situations. And 
the next one is the LOX uh, 2 tissue expander, which is um, basically the integrated drainage port, um, which allows for uh, asp aspiration um, of the periprosthetic space. Uh, it allows aspiration, it also allows irrigation, uh, and can really be helpful in terms of uh, treating and preventing aspirations. I'm sorry, seromas, uh, but also in treating um, infections. If you're worried about uh, tissue expander and you're trying to salvage something, you can deliver some uh, IV um, irrigant or uh, antimicrobial irrigant through the uh, the uh, drainage port and then aspirate it through the aspiration port as well. I think that uh, allows the uh, minimally invasive management of tissue expanders infections and will help salvage a lot of tissue expanders and I'll show some data on how that um, has been uh, shown in, the, in uh, some recent studies. So as I mentioned in the, in the LOX2X, I'm sorry, the LO2X, there's a dual port design. Uh, the one port is for aspiration um, inflation of the tissue expander. The second port is for aspiration or irrigation of the periprosthetic space. And I'm going to show you a video which uh, shows you how, how that works. It's a very easy to use system and uh, definitely makes it safer to try to drain uh, pockets of fluid around the tissue expander without um, placing a needle and possibly uh, rupturing the tissue expander because you're trying to aspirate a port either under ultrasound guidance or um, over a tissue expander that could then um, uh, create a uh, um, a leak or a hole in the tissue expander that would then need to be removed. This was a, uh, a study from 2018 uh, from Dr. Pittman's group and Basically, three surgeons looked at uh, 40 primary reconstructions with uh, LOX2 tissue expanders. And uh, while seroma was a fairly common complication, it was very easily managed in most cases by just aspirating the fluid from that second aspiration port and did not go on to need additional tissue expander removal or increase uh, infection risk because of those seromas. So, it showed to be a very useful um, design option in these particular patients. Um, this was a uh, retrospective study, uh, essentially looking at seromas, and um, there were 112 patients uh, with uh, smooth tissue expanders, uh, and the overall complication rate was 15% with 5.2% uh, seroma rate. It was felt that uh, smooth tissue expanders uh, were safe and effective, um, and alternative to textured tissue expanders um, with uh, at least equitable outcomes. Um, with the whole uh, shift in people wanting uh, smooth implants, um, there was the obvious transition to smooth tissue expanders, and I think with the the uh, ports, it allows uh, tissue expanders not having to be, the texturing is not as important because you can secure the tissue expanders with the, with the port. I'm sorry, with the uh, suture tabs. This particular uh, paper um, looked at uh, the LOX2 tissue expander, uh, Dr. Momani, 2018, and he uh, showed his results and he had um, three patients who ended up having seromas that were evacuated uh, with the uh, aspiration port and he was able to salvage the expanders in the vast majority of those patients by using the aspiration technique. And uh, in that particular patient, uh, like I said, three patients had um, an infection and two of those were salvaged because of the ability to irrigate the pocket and not have to go back in and surgically remove the device. So let's take a look and see how this um, technology works. This is a video of the tissue expander. You can see this particular one is textured. They do come smooth. Uh, there's a magnet 
the yellow one that goes to the tissue expander port and the blue one which goes to the periprosthetic space and once we place needle in the aspiration port you can see aspiration of the red liquid from around the tissue expander and if you irrigate that same port you can see the irrigant green now going into the periprosthetic space through that particular port. If you want to place fluid in the tissue expander, you can place it in the port that you find with the yellow magnet. So it's very easy to use, it's very safe, and it's a very effective way of either aspirating a seroma or irrigating the pocket. Uh, briefly, the Aeroform carbon dioxide filled tissue expander. Um, this was a retrospective study uh, where uh, uh, the Aeroform tissue expander was used um, com compared to traditional saline tissue expanders and the incidence of adverse uh, events was found to be greater in the uh, saline group, uh, essentially showing that uh, the addition of the new technology with the Aeroform tissue expander did not uh, increase the risk of complications. So other ways to um, aspirate around tissue expanders, um, you can go ahead and place a needle above the aspiration port. If you do have a tissue expander, uh, by pulling back on the on the on the needle just above the aspiration port, uh, sorry, the uh, um, just above the port, so that if you do somehow hit the tissue expander, um, you're not going to rupture the tissue expander. That's one way of doing it, although it's less predictable and less safe. Another way is placing a uh, drainage 18-gauge uh, blunt cannula. And the third way is now with the remote port tissue expander, which I think has uh, significantly changed the way you manage seromas uh, and also significantly will change the way you manage uh, post-operative tissue expander infections. Briefly on uh, long-term safety uh, studies, uh, we all know the 10-year data from Cientra um, uh, Dr. Stevens reported this in 2018. This was a mix of augmentations, revision augs, primary reconstructions, and uh, revision reconstructions. The rupture rate across all cohorts was 8.6%, capsule contracture rate 13%. Uh, there are no cases of uh, breast implant associated ALCL, and the capsule contracture rate was higher in the smooth implants compared to the textured implants. The uh, Natrell core data by Dr. Spear um, shows uh, a higher incidence of capsule contracture for the reconstructions at 24%, with the overall rupture rate uh, being 13%. And then the long-term uh, data with the MENTOR uh, core study, uh, also the same four groups. Uh, there were 955 patients, and um, a safety uh, assessed based on the incident severity and method of resolution of all these complications. You can see the capsule contracture rate, um, and ranging from 3.6 to 16%. Uh, infection uh, being low in the augmentation at 0.7, and uh, highest in the revision reconstruction at 2.9%. So in summary, I think uh, two-stage tissue expanders, uh, a two-stage tissue expander to implant reconstructions, uh, a very worthwhile procedure. It's very predictable, it's safe, it's a great option for post-mastectomy reconstruction. It's important to know uh, the various uh, technical options available and uh, try to determine how you can make those uh, techniques work for you. Um, that replacement uh, procedure is is very important. It's a powerful procedure, and it definitely will uh, provide you with better shape and better uh, long-term results. It's important to use technology to your advantage. I think there are a lot of um, improvements in technology, along with ADM, with fat grafting techniques, and also with uh, the various tissue expander um, options that I've discussed that will help minimize your complications. And then, you know, obviously you want to do everything you can to try to 
salvage the expander or the implant if you're having problems. Uh, if you uh, if you can't, um, autologous reconstruction is always a great salvage option. Thank you very much, and you'll now be directed back to the uh, landing page, and please complete the post-test and the evaluation to obtain your credit. Thank you.